Good evening, church, and uh, welcome to the Sunday evening preaching service. I just want to start off by saying how good it is uh, to be back with you, and thank you so much uh, from the bottom of my heart uh, for all the encouragement that you sent our way uh, while we were down and sick, um, the prayers and the text messages, the grocery store runs, the meals that, that were prepared and are still being prepared for us, honestly, our hearts are overwhelmed by how kind the Fellowship family has been to us, and, and we feel so loved, and I just want to thank you, honestly, on behalf of my wife and my son, certainly my parents, uh, for everything that you've done for us in the last couple of weeks. We feel very, very honored and special and highly regarded, and uh, we're so very, very thankful uh, for everything you've done. I want to thank the staff as well. Um, it just thrilled my heart to watch each and every service of those guys preaching. And it's like we didn't even miss a beat. Um, each and every one of them, Brother Mike, Brother Sid, Brother Tanner, uh, put in a lot of time to make sure that the live stream services went on and that they went on with excellence. And just so very, very thankful uh, for their dedication to the Lord and uh, to preaching His Word and, and feeding our souls during this time. Um, we're going to continue tonight in our series on 1 Thessalonians. This is our sixth message uh, tonight, and the, the theme of the message tonight is simply love and togetherness. Love and togetherness. It's amazing how relevant that this message is going to be uh, to the days and the times that we're living in right now. I think it's going to be very helpful and even challenging uh, for our church uh, during this time when we can't gather uh, to really focus in on, on what Christian love and the longing to be together looks like. If you have your Bibles, I want you to grab those. You're going to need those tonight. And turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll be covering uh, verses 17 of chapter 2 all the way through the end of chapter 3. And uh, we'll be discussing this topic of love and togetherness. I, I want you if, you, if you can, to interact uh, with each other during the sermon, uh, on the comment thread, or, or just you know, hit the like button or the heart button, and, and stay engaged, and uh, keep your nose in the Bible as I'm preaching, as we're studying this together, and, and uh, I think the Lord will really speak to your heart. Isn't it true that, that when you love somebody, you really want to be with them? I think that's true, because love and togetherness just go hand in hand. When I was thinking about that, I I, I thought about all the video clips I've seen on the internet of, of somebody in the military who, who has been deployed across seas and away from their family for a year or more, and then somebody stateside arranged to bring them home for kind of a surprise return uh, to their family. In fact, I got, I got a couple pictures of, of some of those times when they're reunited and, and uh, brought back together, and it's a surprise. There, there's been times when Whenever they've been surprised at school or, the, or they surprised their wife at a professional ball game during the national anthem or, or even as of late, they walk in and surprise their family during the president's State of the Union address. And it's hard not to see those pictures there and, and some of those videos of these uh, military personnel reuniting with their family after being gone for so long. It's hard not to watch those and, and tear up and, 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 and be touched because you can just see the joy that is in those kids' eyes, that is in those spouses' eyes, in the parents' eyes, when they finally get to be together again with their loved one. And if you're kind of 
picturing that in your mind, then, then you got an idea of what the Apostle Paul had in his heart for the church of Thessalonica that he loved so much. He desired with everything inside of him <clears throat> to be together with them again. If you remember when Paul first went to Thessalonica and reached the Thessalonians with the gospel, he formed a very, very deep connection with them. In fact, it said earlier on in chapter 2 that he gave his life and his soul to them. He even likened his dedication to them to the dedication of a nursing mother that she has for her child. I mean, Paul gave his everything to these people, but, but it only lasted a, a few short weeks before he got ran out of Thessalonica by the local authorities. And in verse 17 of chapter 2, he speaks of being taken from this church. It's almost like he's an orphaned pastor and he, he's longing to be reunited with them. He, he wants to be together with them again. And I, I got to be honest, I, I can sympathize with his pain. I, 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 I'm torn up every time I stand behind this pulpit and preach to an empty auditorium. This is not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, my pastor's heart is yearning to be together with my people. I know our pastor feels the same type of tension and pain and almost like a separation anxiety in his heart as well. That's what Paul was feeling. He just wanted to be reunited with these people. And so he spends 14 verses in chapter 2 and then all of chapter 3 to share his love for them. And to tell them how badly that he wants to be together with them again. And so we got to ask, why? Why is this preserved in Scripture for us? Why do we get this record of how Paul felt for this church? Well, the end of chapter 3 tells us. Because after he lays his heart open to them, he bursts into a prayer for them. And if you'll look at chapter 3 and verse number 12, we get the purpose of all of this. It says, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I've been so open with you about my love for you and my desire to be with you again. And that's what we're going to study tonight. And he's saying, it's not just to bring you reassurance, Thessalonians, but it's also to give you an example for how you ought to love each other. Paul says, I'm praying that you will love each other in the same way that I love you, that like I desire to be with you to strengthen your faith and to comfort you and encourage you, I desire for you to want to be together with one another to strengthen, encourage, and comfort each other's faith. And church, that's God's desire for our church, that we would abound in love for one another. That, that our love for those in the fellowship family would be increasing more and more. And out of that love would flow a desire to be together. And so in order to really understand what that looks like, then we've got to study verses 17 of chapter 2 through the end of chapter 3 because it's a case study for how loving each other and being with each other are inseparable marks of a thriving church. In fact, there are six truths that Paul exemplifies in these verses about Christian love and, and longing for togetherness. Here's the first truth and the most foundational to our message tonight. The desire to be together stems from a genuine love for one another. That's so important to get. Look at verse 17 of chapter 2. But we, brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, 
endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. There are two words that I underlined in that verse that I want you to pay close attention to. It's the word taken and the word desire. When Paul says that he had been taken from this church, he's using a Greek word that referred to children who lost their parents. Or parents whose children were taken away. So Paul's saying, I feel like an orphan parent right now. Then that word desire at the end of the verse is used most frequently in the New Testament to refer to lust. Now it's obviously used here in a pure sense, but it carries the same meaning. Paul had this strong emotional desire for these people. Now now I want you to see what's happening here. Paul, more than anything else, desired to be with his church family. So much so that he's feeling separation anxiety. And here's why. He loves them. He deeply and genuinely cares for them. Let me ask you this question. Do you have that same longing in your heart to reconnect again with your church family? Do you have that deep desire to be together around God's word again? To sing together again? To worship together again? To laugh together again? To pray together again? To serve one another Again, if you cannot gather for for weeks at a time, just like what's happening right now with COVID-19, and yet not be inwardly troubled because of a lack of connectedness and, and togetherness with your church family, hey, that's not good. There's no way around this. If you don't desire and even long to be with your church family, there's actually a deeper problem going on, and it's that your love for the brethren is not abounding. Until I studied this text, I I never quite understood how people could come to church right on time and leave right when the service is over. No fellowship, no, no hanging out, no enjoying the company of their church family. And now I know why that happens. Because there's a lack of genuine love in their heart for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Because when there's a genuine love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, then there's this longing to be together with them. Because when you really love somebody, you want to be with them. And that's what Paul's exemplifying. So let me ask you, do you love your church family like Paul loved his? That's the first truth and it's foundational to the rest of the message. That a desire to be together stems from a genuine love for each other. Notice the second truth. Satan works hard at hindering our being together. Look at verse number 18 of chapter 2. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. That word hindered was used to refer to an army cutting through a road so that the opposing army would struggle to get through. It really referred to just a roadblock. And Satan somehow, and we don't know how, but apparently he had created a roadblock so that Paul could not get together with the believers that he loved so much. And Satan does the same thing in our church. He will work as hard as he can to hinder us from getting together because he knows how vitally important corporate worship and gathering with our fellow believers is to our spiritual health. I began to think, how does Satan do that? Sometimes I think he tempts us to fill our schedules with everything but church-related activities so that way when church does come on Sunday, it's, it's just an accessory to our lives. 
I think sometimes he tempts us to be so busy on the weekends that, that when we do come to church, it's like we rush in and we rush out because we've got so many other things on our to-do list that we got to get checked off. I think sometimes he'll, he'll place seeds of doubt and discouragement in our hearts about not being loved and, and accepted at our church. And, and when you come to church, he'll whisper in your ear, you'll never fit in there and, and you'll never be good enough there and you might as well just stop going. I think sometimes he'll tempt church members to get easily offended by something that was said or, or done at church so, so that they don't go back. And if they do go back, they're going to be closed off and protected so they don't get hurt again. Sometimes I think the devil will, will just cause us to be uh, spectators in church and not participants because he knows when you participate in church, then you're going to forge these deep love-based relationships and, and have a longing to be together. And so in order to hinder that, he's, he's just going to try to make you a church member that just comes and sits and leaves. I'm even afraid right now that Satan is, is working to hinder our getting together by making us comfortable with this whole online church idea. By making us comfortable with this casual approach to worship. Church, would you listen to me? That is not God's plan for our church. God's plan is, is not that, that we grab our phone and, and we worship individually in our homes from our couches. I'm thankful that we have technology. I'm thankful for Brother Mike and, and his efforts in making this possible. I, I, I truly am. But this is not God's plan for our church. This is not God's long-term plan for how we should worship. Listen, God intends for us to be a called-out assembly, to gather together, to worship together. And I want to encourage you tonight, don't let Satan tempt you to think that this is how it's supposed to be and should be. You should be very uncomfortable with this whole idea. And it really does make sense why Satan would work so hard to hinder our being together. Because he is like a lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And if you've ever seen how a lion hunts, he typically goes for the animal that's separated from the pack. And I'm telling you, when you're, when you're not gathering to worship, when you're not together, when you let Satan hinder that for whatever reason, you become easy prey for him because you're detached from the flock. Paul continues in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2 and gives us a third truth regarding love and togetherness. And I'll, I'll put it this way. The joy of being together as a church is only a foretaste of being together with the Lord for all eternity. I love this thought. Look at the end of chapter 2 at verse 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. The thought was bringing constellation to Paul that, that even if he never got to be with this church that he loved so much ever again, he did know and it brought joy to his heart that one day he would experience that joy that he experienced for the three weeks he was with them. But, 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 but maybe that he would experience with them, number one, in the presence of Jesus. And number two, for all eternity, unhindered by the work of Satan. That brought joy to Paul's heart. Listen, I've been going to church now for 35 years. 
And I can tell you that there have been some incredibly special times of gathering with God's people. I mean, times when God's presence was so real and God's spirit was so sweet and God's people were so unified. And I'm telling you, it was truly like a foretaste of heaven. You just didn't want the service to end because of everything that God, that, that God was doing in your heart, man, that's what corporate gathering and worship is all about. That's why coming together for church with God's people is so vitally important to your spiritual life because it enables you, if just for an hour or two during the week, it enables you to rise above all the burdens and, and the stress and the worry and the heartaches of this old world. It reminds you that this world isn't our home, but we're just pilgrims passing through. It, it, it reminds you that there will be a day when, when we won't have to come to church be encouraged and then go back out in the world and come into the church to be encouraged and go back out into a sinful heartache filled world it reminds us that there's coming a day when we will forever experience being together with God's people in the presence of God himself being unhindered by the work of of Satan and the sorrow of this world. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, church, even if I never see you again this side of eternity, my joy and my hope is that I will see you again in the presence of Jesus and the fellowship that we enjoy together on earth, even for those three short weeks, will pale in comparison to the joy we experience together for all eternity. So next time you come to church, Next time you gather with your church family, let it remind you that as sweet as it can be on earth, in heaven it's going to be absolutely amazing. This is just a foretaste. So we move into chapter 3, Paul gives us a fourth truth about Christian love and togetherness, and it's this, being together is often costly. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Wherefore... When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. So when Paul got ran out of Thessalonica after being there for a few short weeks, he and his missionary team Silas and Timothy went to Berea. And then from Berea they went to Athens and from Athens they eventually went into Corinth and that's where Paul wrote this letter that we're studying in Thessalonians. Paul got to a point apparently where, where he was hurting so badly to hear how this young church was doing that he couldn't forbear. He, he couldn't take it anymore. So he sent young Timothy to go and check in on them and minister to them. And I want you to catch this at the end of verse 1. He wrote that he thought it good to be left at Athens alone. That word left is a strong word. It means abandoned. It means forsaken. In fact, it was used in secular context to refer to leaving a loved one behind at death. Almost like a funeral. I mean, this expresses how difficult it was for Paul to send his closest friend and ministry partner away. And to be left alone, left alone in Athens. Even the words he used in chapter 2 to describe Timothy. He said he was his brother, his minister of God, and his fellow laborer. I mean, Timothy was like the MVP of his missionary team. This was a huge sacrifice for Paul to let Timothy leave. 
because of how valuable Timothy was to Paul's missionary efforts and church planning efforts. Yet Paul was willing to pay the cost of being alone so that Timothy could go strengthen the Thessalonian church and be together with them. Here's the point. If Satan works so hard to hinder our being together, and he does, it only makes sense that we're going to have to work just as hard to get together. And sometimes, especially in our culture of busyness, that's going to be costly. So I got to thinking about this. Honestly, my heart was thrilled because I, I began to think of church members that so often pay a cost to be in God's house. Not once, not twice, but three times a week. And in church-related activities and in special meetings and in ministry outreach efforts. I thought of some that pay the cost of fuel and, and miles on their car as, as two and three times a week they, they drive 60 miles one way. We have two families at least that drive 60 miles one way and pay the cost to gather with God's people. Man, that thrills my heart. On any given Wednesday night I can stand up here and preach and teach and and look out into the congregation and I can see half or more of our people that are still wearing their work clothes because they came straight from work, probably didn't even have time to eat dinner just so that they could gather with God's people. And I see people on Wednesday nights that, that rush upstairs to serving kids clubs that come straight from work and and it's not like our church people don't have a life. I mean, they're full-time jobs and they're raising kids and they've got to deal with burdens and stress and worries. But I'm here to tell you, I'm so thankful that many of you are willing to pay the cost to gather week in and week out. I know some of you on Sundays, you, you kind of have to be the bearer of bad news to your children as you tell them, hey, no, we can't go there this weekend. It's church time and we're not going to miss church to go participate in that activity. I know some of you give up sleep and watching the fourth quarter of a football game and, and weekend recreation and other opportunities because you value gathering with God's people. Listen, when you really love your church family and it's abounding more and more, your willingness to pay a price to be together will also abound and increase. Because when you really love somebody, you'll do whatever you have to do to be together with them. But it's important to know, as we transition into the fifth truth, the purpose for why we get together. You see, Paul didn't send Timothy to be with this church so that he could simply have a potluck, talk sports and politics and the economy. He's got a deeper purpose in mind for why he wanted Timothy to reunite with this church. And it's the truth we find in verses 2 through 5. It's this, that the purpose for being together is to strengthen each other's faith. Look at verses 2 through 5 of chapter 3. And he sent Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. Here it is. To establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass. And ye know, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. Here was Paul's concern. He was concerned that the same work that Satan was doing to hinder him from going back to Thessalonica 
was the same work that Satan would be doing to hinder the faith of these young believers. And he's especially concerned that Satan would use the trials and the suffering and the persecution that this young church was going to, to totally derail their faith. Even, even though he was crystal clear, as he said, in those three weeks with them, he was crystal clear in warning them that the Christian life isn't always easy and that suffering would come. He was still concerned that Satan would use and leverage these persecutions and suffering to get the best of these young believers. And hey, that's a valid concern of a pastor. Because Satan tends to do his best work in the life of a believer when they are going through a difficult time. He, 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 he tends to attack our faith most aggressively when we're already struggling. That's why we need to be together. That's why we need to pay the cost of getting together two and three times a week for the purpose of encouraging each other and comforting each other. And I begin to, to think about how that might happen. It happens when a church member comes to church even after having a long day themselves and They come in with a sensitive heart for the needs of those around them, even though they're struggling with their own needs. It happens when a church member intentionally looks across the classroom at at another member of their fellowship Bible class at 9.45 on Sunday morning and they notice that they're discouraged and they notice they're kind of distant and and they go and they sit by them and they shake their hand and they engage them in encouraging conversation. It happens when, when they hear the prayer request from the pulpit of somebody in our church who has a health need and, and instantly their, 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 their encouraging antennas go up and they, that they send a text message to that individual after church or they make a meal for them or they send them a card in the mail. Listen, we strengthen each other's faith when we gather, when, whenever we see a brother or sister in Christ that that is straying and they're disengaged during the worship and we notice they're just not as vibrant spiritually as they used to be. Listen, we strengthen their faith when we'll take time to put our arm around them and provoke them to love and to good works. Paul even mentions how, how we strengthen each other and admonish one another when we participate with enthusiasm during the congregational singing. Whenever during worship you're engaged, whether you like to sing or not, you're engaged and, 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 and you're giving your best. Paul says that we teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We, listen, we strengthen one another's face whenever at the front door you'll greet somebody with a smile or you'll usher with a warm spirit or you'll accept a child into the nursery with love or you'll teach a children's church lesson with passion and patience. I'm just saying when we come together as a church, whether it be inside these walls or outside, we are coming together for the purpose of strengthening each other's faith. Therefore, listen, don't come to church primarily for you. Don't gather for fellowship with believers primarily for you. Have in mind that someone you love and someone you're gathering with might need their faith established and comforted and strengthened. And here's the good news. When God uses you to strengthen somebody else's faith, it has an amazing way of revitalizing your faith. And that's the final truth that Paul teaches us. Strengthening somebody else's faith energizes your faith. That's exactly what happened here. Look at chapter 3, verse 6 through 9, and we'll be done. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, And brought us good tidings of your faith and charity 
And that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distressed by your faith. For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sake before our God. You see what's happening? When Timothy came back to Corinth and gave Paul this glowing report of the Thessalonians, Paul was overjoyed. In fact, he said in verse number 8, for now we live if or, or because ye stand fast in the Lord. Here's what he's saying. I sent Timothy to energize you and encourage you in your affliction. And in turn, you've energized me and encouraged me in the midst of my affliction. And that's how Christian love and togetherness works. Everybody's benefited. It brings life to all. Don't miss this. The most effective way that, that you can fill your spiritual tank is to go and fill somebody else's. The best way that you can energize your spirit is to energize somebody else's spirit. The best way that you can encourage your heart is to find somebody else to encourage. The best way to receive a blessing is to go out of your way to be a blessing. Man, I'm telling you that ministering to people with no strings attached, just like Paul and Timothy ministered to the Thessalonian church, it has a way of ministering right back to you. So there it is. Paul lays his heart out for this church wide open for all of us to see so that we might have a clear picture of what Christian love and togetherness looks like. And then he tells us in verse 13, or verse 12 rather, now you love each other like I love this church. Fellowship family, I, I hope, man, I hope that our being apart for this long has given us all a profound gratefulness for our church family and the privilege we have of gathering together. I hope that our love for each other after being separated for all these weeks, man, I hope it's being strengthened. I hope that a longing to be together again is stronger than it's ever been. And Lord willing, when we gather again soon, I pray that we'll all work harder at forging these deeper and more genuine love-based relationships with each other in our church. That, that when we come back, our heart's desire will be to love each other more and to be together more. I hope when all this is over that you won't let Satan hinder you from being together with your church family. I hope that you'll let this time allow you to reprioritize some things in your life and that you'll be willing to pay a cost for gathering together. I'm just going to be honest. I hope that some of you We'll look at how often you came to church before this thing. And if you need to reprioritize some things in your life, I hope when we get to gather again that church will be on the top of the list. Gathering together with your fellowship family won't just be a Sunday morning thing. You'll come every time the doors are open. And I hope you'll come back, church, with this renewed purpose to strengthen each other's faith. 
that, that you'll, you'll be focused. When you come back to church and we get to gather again, I hope you'll be focused, not on you, but on the fact that someone in, in this congregation needs you, needs your encouragement, needs your strength, needs your comfort. And all week long I've been begging God to let us gather together again. Because I can't wait. I can't wait to sing together again. I can't, can't wait to hear amens coming from these empty chairs. I can't wait to see the fellowship family going this way and that way in this building and serving each other. I can't wait, wait to see our buses fired up again and coming off the parking lot and back on with a full busload of kids. Can't wait to see ushers at the doors again. Can't wait to have a choir behind me joyfully singing God's praises. Can't wait to see the altars full again. And I just, I'm so excited to when we get to come together as a church family again. My prayer is that during this time of separation, that you'll let God forge within you and develop within you this deep love for your church that is abounding more and more and that you'll begin to long like you've never longed before to be together. And when we come back, boy, it's going to be a great time. It's going to be a joyous time. But until then, until then, let's just keep praying for each other. Let's keep encouraging one another. Let's stay connected with one another. And let's pray that sooner than later, God will make it possible for us to be together again. Church, I love you so much. I'm honored to be your pastor. And I can't wait until I get to see your faces in this place again. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you. Lord, for such a passage like this that seemed to come at just the right time. Lord, with every single Sunday that we have to spend separated from one another, my heart yearns to be together. I know what Paul feels like, how that he feels like he was taken away from the church that he loves so much. And God, in my heart, and I know that so many in the fellowship family feel this way. It, we, we just hurt. We hurt to be together again. And Lord, I have no doubt that's because there's a genuine love for each other in this church family. And Lord, I pray, like Paul prayed, that that love for one another would abound more and more. That it would increase more and more. Father, I pray that you would help this virus to to just go away, to end. Lord, you can do that. You can accomplish that. Will you please make it to where we can safely gather again soon, where we can worship together and give together and serve together and sing together and pray together. Lord, just be together. Lord, I love you. I love my church. Thank you for the gift of the fellowship family. May we cherish it now more than we ever have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, church, it's been a good day in God's word.
and uh, very, very thankful for our time together. And uh, I, I hope that you will tune back in uh, to our live stream service this coming Wednesday. Um, I'll be preaching from a passage of scripture that I think will really be practical, really be a help to you. And so I hope you'll tune in uh, this coming Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in all day today. God bless you. Stay healthy, stay safe, and have a great week.